and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard and special guest Marie Jors. On today's episode, we are discussing funerals, so let's get started. Hey Lindsay, uh, again, always good to be here with you and uh, it's, it's good to have Marie with us because uh, she does an awful lot with the families and planning and helping families and assisting. Uh, there is just so much that oftentimes folks are not aware of that, that needs to be done and accomplished in order to celebrate well a, perf- a person's life. And, and, and that really is, is a key piece. Uh, and part of it, and as I mentioned to you a, a few moments ago, is that in, in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, oh, no. is that the, one of the very first statements is, Marley is dead. You know, the clerk, the doctor, everybody witnesses to the fact that Marley is dead. I was wondering where you were going with yes. that when you told me that like an hour ago in your office. <laughs> well, it's it's... It's recognizing that when you think about what we do uh, with funerals, what Marie and I work, how Marie and I work with families and such, it is based on, on something that has to be believed or established, just like in the Christmas Carol, that, you know, they, they set that foundational point at the very beginning of the play. Now, I've seen the Christmas Carol at the rep, oh gosh, probably... For the last 30 years, I've, I've seen it, you know, virtually every year. Not last year. Well, not last year. That is true. Um, although it was online. It was. Yes. So it's it's establishing a, a, a foundational belief that none of what one is going to experience makes any sense unless they establish Marley is dead. Now, we can jump from that. To, to what we do at uh, uh, with funerals, in this in this sense, that I want to sure? see how he does yeah, this. Absolutely, come on. Thank you. It's not just me. No, no. I'm waiting for, for the. It's it's through. recognizing that for a funeral and what we celebrate and how we celebrate is that for it for any of this to make sense to have any any connection to the reality that we experience, we need to be profoundly, uh, you know, influenced by the fact there is something more than just being dead. That we were not put here on this earth, as I have said any number of times, to be some worm's happy meal. That we are placed here for something greater, something more. And everything we do is to point to that fact, help people, you might say, to turn their heads to be focused on that fact, to be able to to walk through with them through their grief and all that that's part of that, to help them at least for a moment anyway, and at that point in time, to help them come to embrace that in their own life. That though there are tears, though there is a sense of loss, though there is grief, though there is shock, All of those things are part of that, but somehow it's to help them to to wend through those waves, that storm, you know, you might say. And by helping calm the storm, by helping to reassure them, this is not all there is. This is not all there is 
for their loved one, and it's not all there is for th themselves as a as a person, as a family, as a family. And reassure them they're not going to be visited by three ghosts. And to reassure them that indeed they will not be visited by three ghosts. But it, it's it's so important because there was a major shift when with this with the. Uh, ending of the the Second Vatican Council oh, in the again. Yeah, in the 1960s, is that virtually all of our rituals were rewritten, and even when you look at the funeral ritu rituals, when they came out with the fu new funeral ritu rituals in the uh, 1980s, is that the focus was certainly, you know, that the person has died, and and they want to make that very clear. The person is dead, and we have to accept the reality of death. But in the past, oftentimes the, the goal was, can I list at least enough good things that's going to get this person into the kingdom? Can I somehow almost ignore the fact that maybe there was sinfulness in their lives? Can I, you know, we, we hardly a lot of times didn't talk about really joy or resurrection at all it was more death even the color and though black can still be worn for funerals even the colors now today you know we are able to wear white vestments and such that we are celebrating resurrection we're not celebrating digging a hole and putting somebody's remains in it again there is that something more and even today, you know, you don't find too many who wear the black vestments, which I'm glad about. I wish they would have gotten rid of those. Well, you don't see too many black vestments in general. Well, no, but they're coming back. Oh, no. That's a whole other podcast. Um, and it's, it's realizing that, you know, to do what we do, to make sense out of what Marie and I work with with these families, is that we have to remember that there is something more. And going back to something I, um, uh, we had recorded another podcast in regards to cemeteries and those kinds of things. And going back to that a little bit is that I had made, you know, what do the rites do? What do the funeral rite do? And there are three basic things that, that, that take place in these funeral rites. We commend our beloved dead to God. We just don't say so long, maybe see ya. We don't commend them. We don't commend them to a tree god someplace. We don't, you know, condemn, commend, commend <laughs> them. It's a hard word. Yeah. Condemn, commend. We don't commend them, you know, to the god of Neptune. We commend them to God, and saying, you know. Heavenly Father, you gave us this person as a gift to us. Now we commend them back to you. For you, to, you might say, to finish the rest of the story. So we commend our beloved to God. We don't hope they get to God. We don't beg God to take them, even though maybe they lived a, a not-so-nice life. We commend them with the certainty that God takes them to himself and then judges accordingly in God's divine mercy and love, not according to our standards. And thank God for that. Secondly, 
part of what we do and part of what we are about, Marie and myself, as we work with families, and I would dare say you, Lindsay, when in participating with the music, mm -hmm. is that we raise the hope of all believers. That by the prayers we use, and we, we pick out you know, specific prayers, by the music we use, we pick out different music with the assistance of families, mm -hmm. is that part of our hope is that we raise the hope of believers in that something more. Even if they don't understand it, and I would dare say, even though they don't necessarily believe it, and we deal with that a lot also, is that it doesn't mean it's not there. And, and so we raise the hopes of, of believers and of those who, who mourn the loss of their loved ones. And thirdly, we give witness to, the, to faith in the future. This isn't just not what we believe the last 100 or 1,000 years. This isn't just what we believe today. It's about what we believe is to come for all time in eternity. That there is a kingdom out there. And that somehow we want to give witness to that by what we say and do and sing. So that hopefully, again, family, believers, non-believers, and every person and thing in between. That somehow they will latch on to that sense of a faith in the future. Is it also a celebration of the life that they had? Yes, it is. Okay. It's, but it's That's not, how I see it, too. Yeah, it, it's not only that, yeah, though. Right. Sometimes we can get caught in that. Um, and sometimes it's hard to, to bring that out of people. A lot of times, uh, you know, folks will say, well, their faith was very private. There are sometimes I want to so be tempted to say, then it was a dead faith. Faith by its nature is not private. And, and what we're trying to help them to express to us is how did they live it they don't have to have been you know standing on a street corner they don't have to have you know discovered you know the answer to all of life's ills or whatever but how were they a disciple how did they live that belief you know in Jesus Christ well then they began we begin sometimes to talk with the families and and they will say you know he was a really good dad he was a really yeah. good dad. She was an incredible mom. People will say there was no question that they loved us as a family. Um, they will say at times, you know what? He struggled or she struggled with alcohol or pills. But they never gave up. And, and they were able to overcome. Or sometimes not so much. But they would say they never gave up and, and we, we struggled with them. It, it's about telling the real story, not about sugarcoating it, thinking that somehow, well, if we keep it a secret, God won't know. Well, of course God knows, for goodness sake. It's being able to say, you know what, even in their struggle, we knew that they loved us. Even in their struggle, we knew that somehow they were going to take care of us. We didn't always know how, and, and it's but it's saying... In the midst of all of that, I experience somehow the presence of God. That's what we want to help people to come to an awareness of. So it's not, oh, no, no, you know, I don't want to talk about it. He was, you know, there was bad stuff. There was whatever. There is no such thing as the perfect family, no matter how much we think there is. There is no perfect family. Um, not even necessarily even the Holy Family was a perfect family. They would have had their issues. Every one of them would have had their issues. And they would have had to struggle with that. 
And that people say, oh, then you're saying they sinned. Having issues doesn't mean we sin. <laughs> Having issues means we're human. And we have to struggle through those. And it's part of, of a real stance of faith that allows us to do that. It's that stance that says, you know, what we do is built upon what we believe. And even though the family members may not always believe it in the same way, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is not present or that God has given up. Quite the contrary. We reassure people that whether or not they, they went to church regularly or not, whether or not, you know, whatever the thing might be, is God's love is so much bigger than, than oftentimes we make it. God's love is infinite. Uh, there is nothing that we could do that possibly could get God to stop loving us. I mean, really, when you think about it, if God were to stop loving us, we would cease to exist. So thank God, God's love is more than our love, even though our love can be pretty doggone good, you know, on a good day. So it's those kinds of things um, that, that when we look at, at what Marie and I work with, is that um, all works on this premise that there is something yet to come. That the death, life, death, resurrection of Jesus means something. There are consequences to that. And it has an effect on our lives, you know, this very day and every day after and every day that has come before. So where do we start? And I think Marie, both and I kind of start. At the a, very beginning. In the beginning. It's a very good place to start. Yes. <laughs> Recognizing yes. that Marley is dead. Oh, that was a Sound of Music reference, Father. Come on. Yeah, right. In the no, very beginning. No, no, no. Yes, it, yes, the very beginning, yes. Anyway. Or a Genesis reference. Where do we start? Okay. And and Marie, you know, jump in here now. Is that, okay. um, is that for sense, is that what we start is we sit down with the people and we literally say, tell us about. Can I jump in before that? Whoever for where you start. So, because we often get calls at the church like, oh, this person just died, this family member of mine just died, what do I do? And we always say, call a funeral home first. Right, that's true. The funeral home will then connect with us when you tell them, you know, you want a funeral with us. And that's really where you start where if that happens. Um, that's if a person has died. Now, if they're pre-planning, that might be different. But... Okay, now I will jump to Marie and Father <laughs> and say once the family has met with the funeral home and they come and meet with Marie right. and or Father, you start with understanding the family and very often will ask the question that as you look back on their life or on your life with the individual, what did you feel? What did you learn? You know, some of the aspects of um, knowing them. And usually once we have a feeling of the relationship in that individual, their faith, their love, the charity or stewardship in their families, then we go into picking out the, or selecting, the songs, the readings of the intercessions. 
We do have a pamphlet that has the choices, the variety of choices of the readings. And so the family would then pick out the first two readings. Uh, usually the first is the Old Testament. The second reading is the New Testament. And then the Gospel reading. Now, do you have readings that if the family came in and said, oh, my, my so-and-so loved this reading from the Gospel, but it's not necessarily in the packet that you have, is that? From my standpoint, if it's from the Bible, it's okay. I, you know, I don't get caught up with, well, it's not in this booklet or whatever, because one, again, it limits, you know, how the expression of how maybe this family wants to express the love that they had or the concern or whatever it might be. So to me, if it's in the Bible, it's okay. I usually don't recommend, you know, where they're hacking off arms and legs and stuff like that. That's the fun stuff. Well, I know, but, you know, it's if it's in the Bible, it's and it's amazing sometimes what people glean from that and why these readings mean mm -hmm. so much. Going back to what Marie uh, was, was reflecting on, it's marvelous when you start hearing the stories and then we go into the readings, is that how the readings then in so many ways reflect on the stories that they are telling us. Now, you know, at first of all, it's usually pretty quiet, you know, and then we will ask a question like, what were their hobbies? Um, did, what kind of work did they do? What kind of things did they volunteer for? Uh, what, you know, I will ask sons and daughters or whomever saying, when you think about this, or particularly if there are grandchildren sometimes present, and I will say to them, what's one of the life lessons your mom or dad taught you? It's remarkable then to connect it with, with the scriptures that we have, or maybe even the music, is that, you know, and, and, and you know, a lot of times there are, there is laughter, you know, sometimes people must walk by this conference room and wonder, my God, they're supposed to be planning a funeral and they're laughing their butts off. But part of it is the stories. Part of it is the memories. Part of it is getting people to recognize that just because, you know, the person is gone doesn't mean, in a sense, they're gone. Is that these stories and memories live on. And as we get then into the stories and memories, then, you know, as Marie was indicating, we jump into the readings and saying, okay, now sometimes they've had an opportunity to, um, to look at the readings before because we have sent them materials. Right. And that's always one of the options that, you know, we can send them materials and they have a chance then to look at these things, you know, before they make selections. Because at times there's, there might be a lot of pressure and, oh, God, pick the right one, as opposed to helping them relax and saying, now that you think about, you know, your loved one, what readings, as we look through these, kind of capture you? And it's, it's interesting in so many ways. First of all, how oftentimes there is a thread that mm -hmm. runs through each of the readings that makes sense out of the whole. They don't necessarily know that. They couldn't necessarily articulate that. But it's that thread that runs through. And that's why you got weird people like me and Marie who pull some of these things out. 
and saying, my goodness, where did you get that? Just listen. And that's part of really Marie's and my job is to listen so that as they reflect, we start to pull these things out and saying, here are some possibilities. Now, sometimes folks don't want to pick me, oh, you choose that, you choose that. Again, but what I generally do insist on, and, and the vast majority do, is that, but I need your help. Don't necessarily need to choose it, that's okay. But tell me some stories. Mm -hmm. Tell yes. me some stories. And that's when I'm not able to be here, because Marie a lot of times works with these families maybe sooner than, than I will because of just getting some of the details taken care of is that I count on her hearing the stories and saying, you know, here's some of the stories they told. Because then that helps me. Um, not to repeat it in the homily. My job as a homilist is not to give a eulogy. That's not my job. My job is to connect it to the scriptures. I might pull a piece in here or there if it's, if it's significant. But my job is to connect it to the word of God, to the faith foundation that we have, to raising those hopes, to commend their be the beloved dead to God. My job is not to tell funny stories about, you know. Now, I know that different presiders approach it differently. That's just my approach and, and my belief. If, if they want some of the stories shared, then I have them, you know, either write those down and share them, or I will encourage somebody saying, write, write, down some of the things you want remembered, and then have somebody in the family uh, read it. Oh, nobody wants to do that. Mm, you need to ask first. You need to ask first, because then once they, uh, you know, ask inevitably a grandson, a granddaughter, uh, uh, a cousin. Uh, it's it's amazing sometimes that there are those people out there saying, "I would love to read this for you." because I really felt strongly. And it's amazing at times what, what families will discover about family just, you know, as they're planning all of this and putting it together. So often, Father, when they are choosing readings in our meetings, and then we ask them, do you have somebody in the family who would like to read? I'll, I bet about half will say, oh, nobody in the family wants to do that. Yeah, yeah. And then what happens if nobody's there? You know, who will do it? And I say, you know, always contact us if you do not have a reader. There has been only one situation, one funeral mass. In all of the masses that we've had in over, well, I've been here, what, three and a half years in pastoral care, there's only been one. And oh. that was during COVID when nobody was there that or very few people, I think it was like five that were there, mm -hmm. that they didn't have a reader. Other than that, like you said, when they leave here and they start talking to people in the family, every single time they come up with the readers. I want to do that. or Yes. You know, and it means something to them. It's part of the service for them to be able to do something. They can't help out at the altar. You you know, as a celebrant, have that role. Yeah, I got that pretty wrapped up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe the younger ones can't even be pallbearers, but they or they don't want, they don't have a voice, so they can't be part of the music, but they can do that. And that just so ties in the whole funeral mass. 
And it's the way people grieve. I mean, this is one of the ways that people grieve. There, I think we as human beings, we want to do something. Mm-hmm. And, and we don't yeah. necessarily know what. And then these kinds of opportunities arise. And so then they get back to Marie or myself and such, usually Marie, and saying, you know what? Um, I, I really do want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I just think that that would be great. To be well, as a singer, I can, I can definitely speak to that because I've done, gone to funerals or, you know, said, I'd be happy to sing for the funeral. And people would be like, I don't know how you do singing through this whole funeral without, you know, breaking down or whatever. And it's like, well, this is something I can do. I can't do, you know, a lot of things. I can't give comfort, but I can sing for you, you know, like, yes. so I get that. That's a really helpful thing to be able to do at a funeral. You know, it, it's interesting that with, um, we, we, Marie, again, had been talking about the readings and, and, and picking out music. Uh, and a lot of times we, we will joke, the three of us, I know, we will joke at times. Oh, no, not that song again. You know, <laughs> on Eagle's yeah. Wings. Top 10 list. Yeah, yes. Be Not Afraid. <laughs> and, you know, we, we have done it maybe hundreds of times. This is the one event where they've done it. And, and, I, and sometimes I have to remember that. You know, how, how much more can you say about a particular reading? It's like, oh, please don't choose that one. Please don't choose that one. <laughs> and how much more can one say? But the music, the same thing. Mm-hmm. How much more can one you know, say? Or how can we sing this well? But this is, this is their loved one. And this is the only time that they can do this for their loved one. And that, that makes such a difference. Or we can do it for their yes, loved one, yes. you know? And, and then when, when we start to do that, we look at, you know, some of the, the ritual options, I might say. Ritual options are, are things that don't necessarily add, you know, to the faith element. I mean, it's not revealing necessarily anything, um, you know, more about God, as, as, or maybe it is. But it's what can we do? And Marie and I talk about this on a regular basis, and we talk with families on this. What can we do to help connect all of this to people? I remember one lady, as I mentioned a while before we were recording here, that who, who made quilts for her children yes. and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Yeah. This woman made more quilts than anybody that I know. And all of these folks, or many of them, I should say, who gathered, she made them for weddings and anniversaries and for birthdays and for baptisms and they brought these quilts as signs of the powerful love that this woman had for her family loved ones. And we had them draped on the altar. We had them draped on a couple of tables because these... On the pews. On the pews. They were... You know, we did that because it's, it was a way for this family to connect. Uh, there have been at times where... Uh, family members, you know, when we were doing this a little bit more, but and we will begin again, we're bringing up articles that represented the person's life in the offertory procession. That these things were brought up and laid on a table, and then recognizing that then all of this stuff that somehow spoke of their life and how they were connected to that person, then we bring also the final gifts of bread and wine. It's somehow recognizing, and this connects all of us to each other and to the Lord. Uh, so it might be um, some of the other things that we do. Uh, 
uh, like religious articles, I know. Right. If uh, we do have the opportunity, if there is a favorite crucifix that the person had hanging in their bedroom or a gift that was very special to them, we have the crucifix laid on the casket or on the table with the urn. The same thing if it's a favorite Catholic Bible. If there's a favorite Bible, the person always would go to, fine. The family then brings that up and places it again, cool. either on mm -hmm. the casket or on the table if it's with an urn. I remember a couple of times where people said this individual always had stuffed animals. And we yeah. had the funeral where there was tables on the side with all the different stuffed animals and a little sign said, please take one as a remembrance of grandma or, you know, just a variety yeah. of things that they can bring, put on the tables and let people take with them. It's interesting when we start to look at sometimes what speaks. Uh, there was the era of Cabbage Patch dolls. That was oh, yes. before your time. No, no, I had one. Oh, you had one. That oh, my goodness. have been like, yeah, okay. Right there. Then there were like Beanie Babies. Yes. Oh, my oh gosh. yes. And uh, but they were going to be worth millions of dollars. <laughs> so they led us to believe. Uh, then there were like the the Raisin Singers from Hardee's. Oh, I yeah. heard it from the Grapevine or something like that. You know, there's different things, and and if we can now, you, you know, it's always what is in good taste, and 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 what keeps the focus. I mean, we're not going to have Beanie Babies all over the altar or whatever, like that type of thing, as much as what is within good taste, but what also is reflective, something that speaks about this person and the love that they had for, for the people that were part of their lives. It helps at times to bring a sense of comfort. It helps uh, for them to, to share memories. Um, and we work with you know, all of the funeral homes and such that, that help us to accomplish that mm -hmm. so that, you know, we, we are able to be as pastoral as we can. Now, there are things that, you know, we may not approve or whatever, but I tell you, it, it's, it's recognizing that usually you work at it, you can work something in. Mm -hmm. And it keeps the integrity of the ritual, it keeps the integrity of what we do, but it also recognizes, again, God is bigger than our rituals. And, and I don't mean to make any of our rituals small or of no value. It's just recognizing that God is just bigger than those. And, and we have to sometimes remember that. Sometimes we can get so caught up with rules and regulations that we forget that we're dealing with human beings. And, and, and we must never, never forget that we are dealing with human beings with real emotions, who are in pain, and, and when a person is in pain, and that, unless their request is so outlandish, when a person is in pain, that is not the time to try to have a theological discussion with them. That's the time to be able to pastorally, you know, meet them halfway a lot of times, but it is very rare in the 30 plus years that I've been doing this that I wasn't able to work with a person and recognize this is the pain talking. This is whatever. This is not about whether they like me or Catholic Church or whatever. And I need to address that. I need to somehow embrace that in their life and help them to embrace it. And saying, you know what? We can work with that. We can work with that. And that's when I think about what Marie and I do is that we really, 
we, we are meeting people oftentimes at some of the lowest points in their mm -hmm. life. And our job is not to simply throw a book at them and say, here are the rules and call me tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. Our job is to walk with them during this painful moment and help wherever we can in order to celebrate this, this event uh, and the loss of a loved one and, and, you know, and somehow speak to the fact that their lives will never be the same. And so whether it's, you know, uh, ritual options with prayer books and, and rosaries and, and those things that this person clung to, whether it's with the eulogies and how that takes shape or a picture of the person that, that speaks, you know, of, of the joy. And again, it has to be with good taste and such, but there's just a lot that, that can be done in those kinds of things. Um, you know, when you think about all of this, um, it, anything we do, it's, it's helps, it, we want to help a person to connect to their faith. Now, if they really, really like the Vikings and the Bears and that helped them to connect to their faith, I don't think anyone we'll would do like that. both of those. <laughs> I was just going to say, Vikings just, and Bears are just, all <laughs> choices. I don't think you find someone that likes both of those so much. But never, you never know. You, know, you, you never, never know. know but um, it's, it's saying, how, how are we able to work with that? And, you know, how are we able to, to spend time with the family and saying, here's how we can help. Here's how we can help. Um, as we mentioned a little bit before, is that oftentimes that first connection is, is with Marie and, and being able to say, okay, we need to meet with you. You've met with the funeral home. They've called us. We've been able to get a time and set that as quickly as possible. The more we can take off their plate, you might say, and simply say to them, we got it covered. Not a problem. We got the date, the time, everything else, we got covered. And then we're saying, um, well, you know, and now we would really like to make sure we meet with you. You say, oh, no, 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 I'll just... No, it's important that we talk. It's important that we, we reflect. Um, and inevitably, you know, after we're done here, and then let's say it takes about an hour, you know, unless we really get going. <laughs> Um, inevitably, people will say to us as they're leaving, we're certainly glad we had this time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you for taking the time with us. Um, I mean, I have seen it too where families are just so overwhelmed because they come straight from the funeral home and right. they've answered questions about what kind of casket they want and what kind of, you know, all the grave stuff and all of, you know, have to make all of these decisions. And then they come here and have to make... 20 more decisions and they're just like are we done yet <laughs> and we yeah. try to make it as easy as possible mm -hmm. and and even in in lots of different cases is that um, we will send information home with them and saying just take some time rest let your brain relax so mm -hmm. it doesn't explode um, you know and, and take some time get back to us you know the next day if at all possible or whatever or we will connect with you and, and we'll be able to kind of sort it out, we'll kind of give them their homework, you might say. Uh, if, if, if even, what's even better, you might say, is that we have a whole form that, that we can send to people's homes 
or they can pick up here at the rectory that they can pre-plan. Yes. And that's, yeah. that is really great because at times it takes pressure off of the family that gathers because mom or dad or whomever already picked the readings, already picked the music, already kind of put some things together. And if at all possible is that we, we are able to accommodate. Now, I say if at all possible because sometimes, again, um, what may be something for family or whatever may not always be appropriate. But we do have the pre-planning information that if somebody wanted to to contact contact Marie, usually he contact Marie and to be able to uh, to get that information, it makes a huge difference. And they can contact me either by phone here at Holy Angels and leave a message and I'll be happy to get back to them. Or they can send an email and it'll be Jores J-O-E-R-S-M at H-A-W-B dot org. She's fishing for more work. I know. <laughs> and if you do send an email, say we would like to pre-plan, or we know that uh, we would, as a family we would like to pre-plan for grandma or for whatever situation, please give a call, email, Sometimes, because I am part-time, I won't always get back to you immediately. But I will get back as soon as I can, and we can talk about it. And also with that, you know, Marie and I are happy to go to your own home. You don't have to come here. Mm -hmm. You know, I've certainly done that. Marie has done that, um, that we are able to sit with you at, in your home with the person a lot of times and saying, okay, here's what we got Here's what we want you to think about, and it, it, it's oftentimes a you know a cup of coffee and a cookie. It's amazing what what is able yes. to be accomplished with all of that. And you can look on our website too, hawb.org/funerals, right. and that has information on funeral planning as well. Um, one yeah. one thing I do want to mention sometimes uh, when we have funerals, uh, people will say that you know why do you cover up the casket or the urn? Uh, with, with the large cloth. Well, those cloths are called technically Pauls, P-A-L-L-S. Not sure where it comes from, but that's what they're called. What they represent are the baptism, uh, is the baptism of the person. Now, it also has a practical use. Ritually, just as, you know, a family brought this you know, child into the world, and, and they were bathed in the waters of baptism. It was a beginning act, you might say, of becoming a child of God, of becoming part of this community. At the funeral, it becomes a final act of family members, oftentimes the very ones that were brought to the baptism, you know, by the person. It becomes a final act that speaks of the importance of baptism. All of this makes sense in because it's connected to baptism, again. Mm -hmm. um, Which is why you also sprinkle. Exactly. Sprinkle the water, the candle. Yes. All of that speaks of the baptism. And it's, it's, it's again, it makes that statement, Marley is dead. <laughs> these, you know, these symbols that. speak of the fact that this is a child of God. And this child of God God means for something more to happen, and these symbols speak to that. Now, 
Having said that, there's also sometimes a practical thing which we, uh, we deal with today more than we certainly did when I first began, you know, in the early 80s. And that is sometimes that the caskets or the urns that are used, let's just say, are not exactly church appropriate. And, and at times what it does is it equals the playing field, you might say, you know, between the, the casket that may have rude, lewd, or crude comments painted on the sides Jeez, or, the, or the, uh, the corner things that sometimes can be removed and mm -hmm. given to family members. Let's just say they are less than appropriate for church or the yes. urns Did that are there. That? Have you seen that? Um, some of the urns that are out there, they might seem to be humorous because of an inside joke for family or whatever, but not exactly church appropriate. This kind of equals the playing field and saying, this is not about funny haha. -ha. This is about baptism and all that baptism brings to us. And it's a way to express that. You know, they can have their moment of humor or whatever, but when it comes to what we celebrate, it's about baptism and what baptism speaks to us about. It goes back to commending their beloved to God, to raising the hope of believers, and I would dare say non-believers alike, um, and give witness to the faith in the future. That's what we try to accomplish, and that's because it's rooted in baptism, it's rooted in faith, it's rooted in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And we do a darn good job with funerals. I agree. I think so, I too. agree. And to me, that's a real mm -hmm. compliment when somebody says, you know, uh, you do really well at funerals. Because one, I would say, Marie is, is just uh, incredible when it comes to hospitality and such and being attentive to people. Um, Lindsay, I know that you've been certainly a huge part of the music program. Yes. Uh, you do an excellent, excellent job, oftentimes with Kurt and the Resurrection Choir. We are blessed here mm -hmm. when it comes to, you know, the, the music ministry that we have for funerals. We are really blessed. Yeah. That, is, that is not always the case. Not because they don't try, but sometimes it's just not quite there. Yeah. Um, we are blessed here. And, and, I, and I can say that, you know, when I, I would say by far, when people experience what they experience here, that it is experience of hope experience of faith, and that we can say we were attentive and we served the people. Yeah. I have two things. I want to double back and say, if you do pre-plan your funeral, please tell your family yes. that you've pre-planned yes. your funeral because, or the funeral home that you're working with to pre-plan, because you can also pre-plan that part of it too, work with a funeral home. If, they, if your family doesn't know you've pre-planned, we won't know anything, so you may not get what you're hoping to get. Right. So please let somebody know that you've pre-planned. And going along with that, many of the funeral homes will take your pre-planning and then put it with the, for the mass mm -hmm. and put it with the file that you have pre-planned. Also, if they're going to be pre-planning a funeral mass here, we also have a file in pastoral care so that we can also place it in the file if somebody wants to drop it off and say, well, my mass is now pre-planned. Yeah, just make sure you tell your family because, yes. you know, you always have the thing where the family doesn't either go to church or know their family wants a family member wants a church funeral and then 
we don't know if you die and then it's you know so please tell someone Mm -hmm. in your family that you've done this and and i would say too is that let us know also because uh, i would say when you pre-plan is to it would be good for us to be able to look it over Uh, and and the reason is is the caveat that you know a, a person may like a particular song or whatever but it may not necessarily be appropriate for church. Now, it's not that it may absolutely necessarily not be able to be done, but it may not necessarily be able to be placed where the person's intent was. And sometimes, again, when you're in the midst of grief, uh, rationality doesn't always play a big part in this. And you say, but mom wanted it there. I understand your mother wanted that song there. But your mom was not a liturgist, and your mom, I think if we were able to explain, probably would have been able to be okay with seeing a place someplace else. And um, is that sometimes we, again, we have guidelines that we have to follow, and what we do is that I can honestly say we will work very, very hard to make sure that the desire is, is met. It just may not quite be met the way the you know way intended at first but we talk it through mm-hmm. and and the, so again the key is not to have a big theological discussion the key is is how can we serve the needs we have here and do that well and how do we meet halfway so that we can work it through mm-hmm. and my second thing i just want to ask you guys why you enjoy being part of funerals marie why don't you oh. start I enjoy being part of funerals. Which sounds like a weird thing. Well, but that's, it's not. But it isn't. Because I can also work with the people. I can help them through their grief. One of my favorite parts of helping with funerals is when people come to me and say, well, I have Johnny reading, but he hasn't been part of the Mass for years. He hasn't been in, but I would like my grandson to do the readings, and he will, but he doesn't know when to go up. Or we have these children carrying up the gifts when we can get back post-COVID, but they don't know when to do it. And that's part of my position, to be there for you, where I meet with them beforehand, give them the readings, so, and I explain to them exactly what time. I'm always near the pews to nod to them when it's time to it walk happen. up. She'll yes. nod or she'll point, like, go, yep. go, go. It's time for you to go up, or, you know, when the intercessions, what time to come up during Mass, and to watch a Mass flow. Yes, it's easy during a Sunday Mass when everybody knows their roles, it's different. For funerals, when you are bringing people in from all different walks of life, some may never have been in that church before at Holy Angels. Maybe they're not even practicing Catholics, but it flows beautifully. And I guess that's the part that I enjoy the most, is working with those, the individuals and saying, this is what you need to do. Just watch me. I will let you know when to do it. And then it takes the stress away from them mm-hmm. so that they can sit down and enjoy the Mass too. I have to say that, that one of the, the key reasons that I enjoy is that 
you are able to have, you might say, a peak in the people's lives that so many never do. Death is in some ways the great equalizer. Um, none of us escape it, and all of us are affected by it in some manner, shape, or form. And, and though people have maybe been away from the church for a while or whatever, is that they are wrestling with their grief. They are wrestling maybe with their belief in God. They are wrestling with the whys and the wherefores. Um, and this is an opportunity to help walk with them on that journey. And, and my experience has been, when we do this well, and again, I believe we do this well, when we do this well, inevitably, somehow, somewhere, in some manner, shape, or form, and sometimes it's months, maybe even years or whatever, what happens is, is that somebody will come up to me and say to me, Father Howard, you may not remember me, but you had my grandma's funeral, or you had my mom or dad's funeral. I just wasn't there at the time, and I haven't been to church, but you said something, or we were treated with kindness, or we were, you know, we had, you just took care of us. I'm ready to come back. I'm, I'm ready to talk. I wasn't willing to have that conversation at that time. And, and I would say that that happens more often than a person might realize. Is that if we in these vulnerable moments, and they are vulnerable moments, because at times you can hear the pain at a uh, maybe a, a, a funeral years ago or whatever, and you can still hear the pain in their voices of how they were treated or whatever, is that when, when you take people at these vulnerable moments, it is amazing how the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit can work. Not because I'm that good, because <laughs> the Holy Spirit's that good. And, and all we need to do in some ways is simply be kind, mm -hmm. be compassionate. Um, as I said, it's, this is not the time for, for theological head trips. <laughs> this is a time for heart to heart. This is a time to listen. This is a time to reflect back. And that in many ways, this is a time to invite. One of the things that I do at the end of every funeral, I always go back to the main players who helped us plan or whatever. I always go back to the main players and say to them, uh, you know, to, to wish them well, to let them know I keep them in prayer. But I will usually give them a card or somehow and say, if at any time in the future there's anything I can do for you, let me know. You know where I am. Let me know. Um, it's amazing. you get moved. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> but people track you down. Sure. That's the thing is people track you down. You know, and they'll take you up on that. And it's just... It's letting them know doesn't stop here, you know? Mm -hmm. Just like death doesn't stop, you know, from what is yet to be. Hopefully, you realize that this doesn't stop here yet, you know, simply because I'm done now. And as opposed to saying, you know where I am, give me a call, we'll sit down, know you're always welcome. All right, that was a lot of information, but some good information. Just remember, Marley was dead. Uh, we hope you enjoyed that, <laughs> and we will see you next time.